0: i'm turning this evening to second peter chapter number one. 2 peter chapter number one and we're just going to be looking at one verse tonight the one usual for us but we're just going to place our emphasis tonight on verse number 10 and then we're going to expound even more deeply on this verse next wednesday evening second peter chapter one verse number 10 the apostle peter writing here under the inspiration of the holy spirit Writes these words, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Our subject tonight is simply make your calling and election sure. Uh, We learned last week about the danger of forgetting what Christ has accomplished. For us, But we are told, and we've been learning in this study on Wednesday evenings, about that we are to be adding to our faith. And we've learned that we are partakers of this divine nature, and that because we are partakers, we have been given all that we need that pertains to spiritual life. And we've established the fact that wherever spiritual life is, there's going to be spiritual growth. And of course, wherever there's spiritual growth, we can only attribute that to what has happened to us and what God has done for us. Now this admonition that Peter gives us here is just that. It's an admonition. It's an admonition to the brethren. He says, wherefore the rather brethren, give diligence, diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, Ye shall never fall." Now there's often words that when we see them, we begin to wonder what is the meaning of this? What exactly is Peter telling us? But before we get into that, I want us to think about what our primary concern should be. Now I'm going to make an assumption tonight, and I don't often do that, but I'm gonna look around the room and I'm making an assumption that most of us, at one time or another, and most of that is because as a local body, Uh, either I have had a conversation with you or you've had a conversation with someone else I'm looking around the room and maybe with the exception of our younger ones Uh, we have all made a profession of faith. We've all claimed to know Christ as our savior. We've acknowledged there's a time when we've repented of our sins. We've believed the gospel. Uh, Some of you, I've had the privilege of being able to baptize you after your conversion. And so Peter is writing to believers, primarily. Uh, He's writing to those who would understand the language and understand the terms and the concepts in which he was talking about. But this making our calling and election sure is certainly a phrase that depending upon who you read uh, depending on their background and depending upon what uh, where a perspective they're coming from there's been a lot of misinterpretations about what peter actually means here Um, how do we make something that is of god calling and election sure in other words how can we Make something that is God's initiative, God's action, sure. That's what's at the heart of this admonition. Now, one thing none of us can do, and again, I think you'll understand what I mean when I say this. Uh, None of us can, with our physical eyes, look into the book of life. Uh, We cannot look into what the Bible says is the book of life that contains the names of all of those who are in Christ. We also cannot look into the eternal decrees of God. There are things about what God has done, God is doing, that we just, with our physical eyes, we cannot see. So what we know Peter is not doing is he is not admonishing us to do something that we are incapable of doing. Uh, We are not capable of looking into the book of life. We are not capable of completely understanding or looking into all the eternal decrees of god so that asks brings us to ask the question then how are we to know and make our calling and election sure now first of all peter by saying making our calling and election sure we have to understand a couple things we're going to turn to a number of different passages tonight and this primarily is going to come oh, come across as primarily a bible study tonight but calling and election are inseparable. Okay, Calling and election are inseparable. So go with me, first of all, to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. Now, again, as a local body here and, and a local church, I'm looking around, and um, I know that these concepts, these principles, uh, these verses have been covered um, in our gatherings. Uh, but again, it's a reminder. 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 13 through 14. Of course, Paul, the writer here, But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto... He called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. You can see chosen, you can see calling, you can see how these are inseparable <coughs> truths. Now, the word sure that Peter is using in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, speaks... Of assurance, it's a word that means what it sounds like it means. Uh, There are words in our English language, and again, I have have not studied Greek deeply. I've not studied Hebrew, but I also understand that there are some words in English language that were different in the Hebrew and the Greek and various languages. The word "sure" in calling, when he's saying in calling an election, he's speaking of assurance. He's speaking about having the assurance of your calling and your election. Now, going along with what we're dealing with on Sunday mornings or in our study of the confession, we've learned that this, our assurance and our salvation is the result of the gospel. It's the result of hearing the gospel. It's the result of responding to the gospel. Now, you were there in 2 Thessalonians, go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and look at uh, with me at verses 1 through 6. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Of course, this is the first of the two letters uh, that Paul wrote to the, to the Thessalonians. Verse 1 of chapter 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. So we see that these things are inseparable. Assurance, what we receive from the gospel, Understanding that he speaks to the brethren about beloved knowing your election of God. Now again, keep in mind, we cannot look into the eternal decrees of God and we cannot look into the book of life. So how can you know about your election? How can you know about your calling? That's what we're going to be looking at. So in the scriptures, full assurance often is a product of three things. First of all, it's assurance is a product of understanding. Uh, there is uh, no way to discount the importance of understanding. Now we know our understanding comes from the Holy Spirit, gives us the ability to understand these truths, gives us the ability to discern truth from error, and guards us against those things which are contrary. Uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse number 6 Paul says, "...as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him." which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God and who hath raised him from the dead. Now notice this, and you being dead in your sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Now that's introducing us to this concept of this quickening, this quickening together and being forgiven of all your trespasses. So there is assurance, is the product, first of, first of all, of understanding. The second product is hope. So, to, to have assurance is to have understanding and also to have hope. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12. Hebrews chapter, chapter 6, verse 11 and 12. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Notice that phrase, the full assurance of hope. Uh, this is not just a word that suggests I really, I'm really thinking that this may work out or this may not work out. He says full assurance. So when he's talking when Peter's talking about making your calling and election sure, he's talking about full assurance. That's the result of our understanding, our hope. And then thirdly, our faith. Full assurance is the product of three things, understanding, hope, and faith. Hebrews 10, verse 22. Here's where we see and many of these verses we could go to about faith. Hebrews 10, 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water let us hold fast a profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching so each of these things are a product of full assurance Now, each one of those things is the result of hearing the gospel. We get our assurance, we get our hope, we get our understanding, we get our faith from the gospel. I don't think I read this just a minute ago, but 1 Thessalonians 1, verses 4 and 5, oh, I did mention it. Knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. Notice it came through the gospel, not in word only, but in power. This is not our work. This is not what we have done. This is a result of the gospel and the power there, therein. Then the last one I want us to look at as far as just introduction here. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. Again, assurance is here. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding that we may know Him that is true. And we are in Him that is true. Even in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. So this admonition of Peter is not just a simple phrase we could quickly gloss over, and we could just simply say, yes, I understand calling, I understand my election, I understand how those things work, because we're going to misunderstand. We're going to misinterpret what Peter has in mind here. So, Knowing what we know, what does Peter mean by this admonition and this exhortation? Now, let me give you some false interpretations that have surfaced throughout the years. Uh, this is probably nothing new to some of you, but there are some false interpretations of what Peter means by making your calling and election sure. One of the first false interpretations is that Peter is exhorting people to make themselves Christians and to make certain of the fact that they are Christians. Now, according to that line of reasoning, what they're suggesting is, is that if you do the things given in the previous verses, which is what we've gone over the last few weeks, if you do these things, the end result will be that you will become a Christian. So in other words, they falsely interpret this to mean what Peter is saying is, if you do all these things, the end result will be you'll be a Christian if you'll do these things. Now that is not what Peter is teaching here. If we take the whole teaching of Scripture, you cannot accept that interpretation in any way, shape, or form without contradicting the whole doctrine of the Bible. So if we were to say that's what he means, that he means do all these things and the end result will be you're a Christian, that would undermine the rest of the Scripture and the truth of it. So we cannot accept that as the proper interpretation. If we look at what the Apostle Peter is actually doing, he is not exhorting the people to make certain of their calling and election in an eternal sense, for that's something they're incapable of. Uh, We are not capable of being able to, again, look into those eternal decrees of God. Now, again, that can be a bit confusing, and I'm going to elaborate on that. But the election and the calling are God's action both of those words calling and election are god's action they're not ours we do not call ourselves we do not elect ourselves we do not choose ourselves so we've got to keep in perspective that what peter is talking about is something that is of god's action and god's initiative now the election and calling are god's action from beginning to end there are other very loose interpretations of this passage that suggest, well, what it really means is is that God starts the action and then we finish it. God starts it, but then he leaves it up to man to finish it. That second interpretation is not what Peter is saying. So those first two interpretations are not the proper way to view this. Now, remember what Peter said in the very first verse of this epistle. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I mentioned to you on that very first sermon when we covered this, the like precious faith is the benefit, and maybe you wrote this down, maybe you didn't, the benefit of the sovereign election of God our precious faith is the benefit of the sovereign election of god notice he used the word obtained to obtain something is to receive it as a gift so what is salvation what is the election of god what are the benefits of it is that it is a divine gift that is received not exercised by the unregenerate heart so faith is not something we exercise enough to regenerate ourselves. Rather, it is the result of all of these things that God has done, calling an election, and we obtain like precious faith. So we have not created faith in ourselves. You are not the creator of your faith. God gave you faith as a gift. You haven't generated. You haven't helped it. You haven't moved it along. Nor can you move your calling along, or can you expedite your election. You can't do any of those things. You cannot act on God's behalf. God's calling and God's election are his work, not ours. So that completely undoes anything to suggest if we do these things... That's what Peter is suggesting. Do these things and you'll obtain like precious faith. No, he very clearly says the very opening words of that chapter in this book, you have obtained this as a sovereign gift of God, as a direct result of his sovereign election. So faith is something we obtain or receive. So what can we say about the doctrine of election itself? First of all, we know that the doctrine of election is found throughout the New Testament. It is not an isolated doctrine. It is not something that is hard to find. I'll give you a couple of verses tonight. Ephesians 2, 8, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Romans 8, 29 and, go, on, and further goes, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them also he justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. And of course, I love what Paul says at the end of those deep truths. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? We are to take great comfort in those truths. That he who predestinated us called us. And if he predestinated us and he called us, then we are justified. And if we are justified, (laughs) then we will be glorified. These are comforting truths. If God be for us, who can be against us? So when we're talking about calling and an election of God, and we're talking about making these things sure, we have to be clear and we have to understand this is not a random doctrine calling an election or the work of God alone. Now, again, I'm speaking to you primarily as people who understand. That's not the first time any, most of you in this church have heard me say that that's still the work of God alone. We probably hear that every single time we gather, but we've got to make that very clear, especially when we talk about election. We also know that the first epistle that Peter wrote, he began that letter by reminding them about their election. He addressed it to the elect, and it's clear that the doctrine of election is present in both of his letters. So here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses one through five. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now notice this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope. That means he caused us to be born again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now, if that's not joyous enough, if it's not joyous enough to know that he not only sovereignly elected us, caused us to be born again, but then he makes the promise that that calling and that election will be kept. They are sure. It doesn't change. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter then goes on in 1 Peter chapter 1, and he acknowledges their trials and their struggles, and he says, I want you to greatly rejoice. Remember these truths and the preciousness of your faith. That's really what's at the heart of this. So, we cannot dismiss the doctrine of election as man's creation as it's virtually on every page of the New Testament in some form or fashion. That's why Peter is exhorting them, make your calling and election sure. Now we do know that even in Second Peter, again a few weeks ago, Peter introduced us to this doctrine of election in verse 3 when he said, according as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. I said at the time, and very clearly saying it again, it is his glorious power and his alone that we give credit to for our eternal life. Now, if we give credit to him for our eternal life, what is our salvation the result of? His calling and his election. We're kept by the power of God. The Apostle Paul stated it in a different way, but maybe clarified it. The Apostle Paul states our condition as clearly as it can be, what we were before we were regenerate. Ephesians 2, 1, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. Dead. Yet God quickened. He made us alive. He brought us life, eternal life. All of us here tonight agree in the physical impossibilities, I think, that a dead man cannot raise himself. He never has. He never will. A dead person, a dead human being cannot raise himself from the dead. But we have a hard time accepting... That a dead man spiritually can raise himself from the dead, that he can regenerate himself. But if a man can regenerate himself, then we are also have to admit that he's giving life to himself. If a man cannot regenerate himself, if a man cannot bring himself back from the dead, how can he give life? He can't quicken himself. Nowhere in the Bible do we see Peter or Paul or any of the inspired writers saying, quicken yourself. But we do see God says, he has quickened. We see the prayer of the psalmist. David in one of the psalms, I can't recall exactly the psalm, he uses the term quicken us. He's acknowledging that there is no way that we can bring life. A depraved sinner cannot give birth to himself. I know that sounds kind of silly, but that's how we often think about this truth. He is incapable of any action or bringing life or doing anything of spiritual good. Because the argument is this, well, can't unregenerate people do good things? Yes. Does it do spiritual good? No. Does it add acceptance before God? No. Does it give them the ability to say they are one of the beloved or one of the brethren? No. Yes, man can do good, but he cannot do spiritual good. Our very best work, and I want us to get this, our very best work or the best good thing we do without the quickening of God is offensive to God. So to try to bring God something in your unregenerate heart is not only unacceptable, it's offensive. That's probably not even a strong enough word. It's an abomination to God to try to come before God with your own regenerate goodness because you cannot offer God anything of spiritual good. Folks, it's not, we often kind of, we compartmentalize things. It's not just that we lack life. But the Bible says that before we are quickened, before we are regenerate, we are not just lacking life, but we're an enemy to God. We're enmity. Now I know in our watered-down, doctrinally weak society, we don't like to use terms like that because we don't like to say to somebody that an unsaved, unregenerate person, according to Scripture, is an enemy of God. But that's what the Bible says. Paul says in Ephesians 4.18 about the unregenerate. Remember I told you one of the products of our calling and election is understanding. Listen to what he says. Having the understanding darkened. Being alienated from the life of God. Through the ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. To be alienated from the life of God. Again, these are not going to be popular terminologies. To be alienated from the life of God means to hate the very holy life that God has given through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. It makes what Paul says in the book of Romans make even more sense when we think about there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. Their throats are an open sepulcher. Why are they that way? Because their understanding is darkened. So how can a person with a darkened understanding offer anything of spiritual good to God? They can't. So God is the author. Now as we've already looked at and we've considered in this second epistle already, if the grace of God has saved us, and this goes back to our studies over the last few weeks, remember after we read verse 3 in 2 Peter 1, the word whereby in verse four are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And then we dealt with all of these things, give diligence to add to your faith, virtue and virtue knowledge. And he goes and he gives us all these things And as we learned last week, if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're getting a little bit closer to understanding how we make our calling and election sure. It's important that we understand this is not an acknowledgement. saying we can look into the eternal decrees of God. But rather, there is evidence. Now we're getting somewhere. To make our calling and election sure has to do with these mentioned graces. The presence of these very things. Again, don't take verse 10 out of its context. You'll notice that the, the word in the verse, first word in verse 10 is wherefore the rather. Rather than what? Rather than what he just said in verse number 9 about forgetting what you've been purged from. Your old sins. So, where to add to these things, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and charity will be clearly seen. Now, again, this might ruffle us a little bit. But it is safe to assume that he that is without these spiritual graces, if these things are not present in you, there's no evidence of those, then you have many reasons to doubt the calling and election of God. If our desire is to seek the kingdom of God first, if our desire is to know Him more, to seek after Him, if we are determined to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, if we're determined to be found in Him, if we're determined to be accepted in the Beloved, if that's your concern tonight and you want to grow and you want to grow in His grace and grow in His knowledge, if that's your primary objective, what does He say? He tells us at the end of verse 10, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Don't separate these things from the things he's talked about in the previous verses. These things adding to these, to kindness, adding to virtue, to patience, godliness. So what's the secret? The secret is, is as we do these things, our calling and our election becomes sure. Our assurance, our full assurance understanding, hope, and faith. See, we often get this wrong. Again, how do we often do it? We often try to determine our assurance by what we did in our own strength, in our own power. Did I pray right? Was I sincere enough? Peter is saying no such thing. It's not that we'll never sin again. That's not what Peter is saying. But he is saying that if these things be in you, and we're to give diligent to these things, give diligence to be sure that these things are there, you will never totally fall from the mercy and grace of God. So the Bible teaches us about the doctrine of election throughout the New Testament. Secondly, and these are going to go very, very quickly, and again, because next week we're, going to, we're actually going to take verse 10 almost in a word-for-word word basis. We're going to take a word, and we're going to look it up. We're going, to, we're going to consider what that word means and what the implications are. So I'm going to give you two, these last two headings very quickly. The doctrine of election has always been a stumbling block to many, but it is a central doctrine of the Scriptures. It is not unusual to get a negative response to the doctrine of election. As a matter of fact, you should expect it. Uh, it is the one thing that if, if, the, if you were to uh, center in on the one differences in churches that really makes the difference, it goes back to that. What do you think about election? You can really unravel a lot of things, and you can get to a point where you can say, this election is where we differ but it's the central, and a central doctrine of the scriptures. Election is not meant to teach us anything more than that salvation is entirely the gift of God by grace. Now the problem is, is that when we use that phrase, there are other churches who don't believe in election who will say that. They will say, "Uh, yes, I agree, salvation is entirely the gift of God by grace. But the problem is, and what Peter isn't telling us, is Peter is not telling us to elect ourselves. He's not even telling us to choose ourselves. And he's certainly not telling us to call ourselves. It's God who calls. It's God who chooses. It's the gift of God. It is a great mystery. Here's one of these truths about the scriptures, and we often have a difficult time with this. There are things in our Christian life, and there are things in this book, that we acknowledge and confess, even though we don't fully understand it. Election is that same thing, but yet it is a lightning rod between believers and churches. We confess things that you do not have physical, by sight, evidence of. You confess them to be your belief system. You confess them to be true. You acknowledge them to be God's word, but yet you've never seen them. The very obvious answer is, is you have faith in a Christ you have never seen. You have faith in an event an accomplishment on the cross that you were not a witness to? Why do you believe it? And here's what people will say, because the Bible says so. The Bible says it about election just as clearly. The doctrine of election is not obscure. It's not hidden. It's not like a a code that you have to decipher. Even if we don't understand it, We have to acknowledge and confess it. If I was to give you the assignment to spend the rest of your life, however many years it is, whether it's 10 years or 50 years. And tell you I want you to come back in your own mind and I want you to give me a fully grasped comprehension of the entire doctrine of election. You couldn't do it. Left to himself, the darkened, blinded mind would never have thought of this. Humanity would not think of putting a God who calls, a God who chooses, and a God elects. Man's pride is so deeply ingrained within him, man would always run to, How can I do this myself? Because that's what man's desire is. Man wants to be the captain and the author of his own salvation. The terms election, the terms calling are found in the scriptures. So why do we know that it's true? Because the Bible says it is true. The third heading is that the doctrine of election is falsely labeled as unfair and unjust. I told a person not too long ago this very thing. As long as a person remains anxious and uncertain about the doctrine of election, the longer it will be before they'll accept it. You see, the reality is is that the very essence of our faith is to believe what we cannot fully see, and we cannot fully understand and fully grasp. I know we think we understand the cross, but do you fully comprehend and grasp The sins of all mankind who's ever lived being placed upon the Son? Humanly speaking, do you grasp that humanly? No. Do you grasp humanly what it is to have the the wrath of the Father poured out on the sinless Son of God who, as the kids told us from the catechism, was holy and undefiled? See, we're grasping things we can't understand in scriptures all the time, and we confess them to be true. But when it comes to this electing, we have a problem with it. But the reality here is, is that we are unable to understand just in our human reasoning, but we confess it and acknowledge it because the word of God declares it. We accept his gracious revelation and submit to it. We are called, Paul writes in the book of Corinthians, we are called to examine ourselves to be sure we're in the faith. Now, many times, and maybe even this past Sunday as we observed the Lord's Supper together, we're called to examine. That passage that we read talks about examining ourselves. We don't think twice about that. We don't think twice about, I'm examining myself to see if I'm in the faith. The only conclusion you can come to if you are examining yourself and whether you're in the faith or not is you have to use the rationale and the reasoning Paul came to. Paul came to the conclusion, I am what I am by the grace of God. Not I am what I am by the grace of God plus and minus what I did or didn't do. I am what I am by the grace of God. The calling and the election are from God. He initiated the action and there would be no salvation if God had not acted. That's really what the doctrine of election is. It's his initiative. It's not ours. It's his action. It's his work from beginning to end. All we are saying, those of us that believe that our salvation is the result of the sovereign election of God, is that God saved us from beginning to end, not by works which we have done. So what does Peter want us to take from this exhortation? Instead of being a stumbling block and instead of being a doctrine that's unfair or unjust, we should actually look at the doctrine of election as being the certainty of our salvation and the certainty of the salvation of all who will be saved. Again, I've heard it many times. People say, left with a choice, I would rather I decide my own spiritual destination. If you take the Bible as a whole, the answer and your destination would be the same 100% of the time. You would never choose God for yourself. Without the calling and electing grace of God, man doesn't choose God for himself. The darkened mind is alienated from God and cannot. But the doctrine of election ensures us that if you are in the faith tonight, you can be certain of your salvation. Now the exhortation that leads Peter to declare this truth, that's what he's talking about, add to our faith. These are the evidences of what has happened to us. We want this idea that I just want to know. I want to know I'm saved. I want to know it. This knowledge comes as a result of the evidences that are being shown in your life and the things that are being done. John wrote in 1 John 5.13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. The doctrine of election is not meant to be a stumbling block. It is meant to be a certainty. Peter's calling us to be diligent and careful that we add to our faith. He says, if these things are not in you, you will be barren. You'll be unfruitful. In what? In the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, even though we're called to be diligent in these things, I believe Peter, if the emphasis is as I'm seeing it, the emphasis is greater than on giving diligence to what he says in verse 10 than even what he has said in the previous verses. Now next week, we're going to expound verse 10 and maybe touch on verse 11. And we're going to consider the matter a little bit further. And we're going to answer two questions next week. The first question is going to be, who needs to be sure or certain of this calling and election? That's going to be question one. And the second one, probably the more, most interesting at least as we think about it, can the eternal decree of God regarding calling and election be changed or altered? So that's two questions we'll deal with next week. And again, we'll get more into detail on verse 10 and pull each one of those verse or each one of those words and look further at them. Well, let's pray together.